trade services, Lavazi and Boop1.co.uk present the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who Podcast, episode 573. This is the special episode from FantasyCon 3, and um, I'm not really in it, because it gives me the opportunity to hand over to father of the show, Paul Wilson, who conducted all the stage interviews. Uh, I'm not going to do any fillers within the gaps, because I presume, although I haven't seen it yet, that Paul will have introduced all of his guests. And Debbie Melrose will appear at the end with a very special interview. I've got a funny feeling the sound's not going to be particularly good on this episode, simply because it was recorded through a camcorder, and uh, I think the the loudness on the microphone that Debbie was using was probably turned up a bit too high to be right under somebody's nose. But it is what it is. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Good morning, everyone here at FantasyCon. Hey. Can I get a holler? Hello. God. Who should start a chant? Fantasy Con. There we go. This morning I am here with the wonderful Martin Valentine. Hi, Martin. Thank you. I'm all hyped up this morning. I haven't even had any coffee. I know. It's done with my pen. So. Your career started way back in the noughties, right? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. basically. I started as uh, in Amdram, like a lot of actors do. And um, it's quite a sad story, really. I had a very low self-esteem. I, was a, I am a big guy. I was a bigger guy. And to sort of get over the uh, self-esteem issues, my mate, who was really heavily into Amdram, said, come along, why don't you get yourself on stage? That'll kill any demons and fears you've got. And um, I went along, initially as a dresser, uh, because there's not that many at the time, men, especially big men, who wanted to be on stage, I ended up being on stage, because they had various actors drop out, and I started playing parts of like henchmen and doormen, basically because of my size, and I absolutely loved it. So that's how I started, and then people were saying, oh, you'll get yourself in films. So I sent off a load of headshots, to uh, various uh, agents, and I started getting offered uh, film roles, which I couldn't believe. And my very first film, other than some um, sort of um, streaming films, was uh, The Golden Compass. Yeah, which is amazing. Which right? I ended up playing a Trolliston in. Yeah. And I got really friendly, because I'm a friendly guy, so I started chatting to the right people, and they started putting me forward for other things. Amazing. And uh, that sort of ultimately led to being. Um, put forward for the, uh, the Batman film. But up to that point, I was doing TV. I was in Stephen Fry's Kingdom, and um, I can credit Stephen Fry for uh, getting my equity card because he made sure I was on an equity contract. He's a lovely, lovely man. He's one of the nicest guys yeah. ever. And like I said, because it was his own, par- um, his own company, Paragon Productions, yeah. he made sure that everybody who didn't have an equity card was on an equity contract which I then submitted to equity, and then I got my equity card, which is awesome. And um, like I said, when I was working on that, I did four episodes of Kingdom. Um, I got uh, an audition for The Dark Knight, which was daunting, and then I got the part, and I ended up getting the part of um, The Joker's Henchman. 
And really, since then, I never sort of looked back. That was sort of my whole career changed. Just off the back of the, uh, that one film, because that scene I'm in with Heath is such an iconic scene. It is incredible, right? I was doing Comic-Cons off the back of that one picture nearly two years before the film even came out, because it's one of the first scenes filmed. And yeah. sadly, because he passed, there was an immense interest in the film. And that image that I'm in with Heath is actually everywhere. It's on the front of Empire. It's quite, I was say, it's quite iconic, right, yeah. isn't it? And then, so I've been doing Comic-Cons as a signee. Uh, for about 15, 16 years, but before that, I used to attend them as uh, Joe Public. So I love them. And so I've been doing them 34 years now. I worked wow. out, I've probably done over a thousand of these. Amazing. <laughs> I'm 51 now, so that's about 34 years. I started when I was about 17. So I actually love these, and I love meeting other actors and all the fans. It's absolutely amazing, and I'm, I feel blessed to be able to do it. Well, let's, let's just go back a little bit to um, the Amdram stuff, because I, I think. It's, it's such an important institution for, for people to, to find themselves in. You know, even, and, and it's really interesting that you talk about how it, it brought confidence and all that sort of stuff. And I think through the performing arts, so many people can find that confidence, right? And, and your story is inspirational, really, isn't it? Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's very, very still down, really. I was, you know, I had a lot of self-confidence issues. And yeah, I think it's one of those, one of those things you, uh, you, you sort of, you face your insecurities head on and deal with them and turn what I perceived as a negative in my life into a positive. And then I just sort of took it to that, the next level. And uh, yeah, Amdram is absolutely amazing. If you can stand in front of hundreds of people and say your lines, you can do anything. After that, working on TV and film is a walk in the park. Working on stage is definitely the hardest thing ever. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. And you've been in so many things. I mean, I, I had a look and the parts got the, but so to get all over the place. It's amazing. You must be just such wonderful experience. Well, for Joe Public, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I won't lie to you. I do cherry pick what I do because up to recently, recently, it was only like a part time job. Uh, right. So I said, I looked at what would be sort of fan worthy, if you like. And cherry pick what I actually did. So um, I was getting offered quite a lot of bits and bobs, which I didn't necessarily always do. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the stuff I'm, I'm in, I'm very conscious. They're basically fan favourites, like the Harry Potter and the Star Wars and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. And um, you've also done, I'm very interested in Z Lister. Yeah, that's one of my student films. Yeah, uh, very, very proud. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it sounds really interesting. Well, you can watch it. It's on, it's on YouTube. Um, it's a film that I was approached. I was doing a signing, and some of the students come to me, and um, yeah, so these students approached me and asked me if I was only happy to be involved. And um, at the time, I was writing. I do write quite a lot. And I said, well, I can sort of, I can do like a parody of what I do, which is signings. And um, I sort of threw in a love story. And um, yeah, so basically, it's it's not making fun of these events, because I love them to bits, but it's sort of poking the stick maybe at the actors who sign, i.e. and some of the more obvious, uh, how can I put it politely? More score fans that we get at these events, and yeah, it's all done with a very sort of friendly uh, drive to it. Yeah, I mean, I think 
parody went down well to be very loving and a tribute as well as being, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm very proud right? If anyone wants to see it, they come and see me. I'll send them a link to it. So. Yeah, I highly recommend uh, checking it out because it's a lot of fun. You've seen it then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what I wanted to talk about because oh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought, oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, a really there's, fun little. There's three. It's a trilogy. Oh, are there? Yeah, there's another one. It's Ed Lister's, which I'm not really involved in. The one after that is called Red Time, where I play, yeah, that's like the third part. And the first, yeah, I've got that written down, I haven't seen that. Now that's available somewhere, and the one before it is, um, you know, that's Ticketer. So Red Time is the first one. Um, I'm not sure where that is. I think I've got a DVD copy, but I haven't put it online. <laughs> Ticketer's the next one, that's online. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, I haven't seen that one yet either. Yeah, but, so uh, that's, they all I, sort of interlinked, they've got characters from... Or, you know, a bit like Kevin Smith, he has all the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all in it, really, so. Amazing. So, Albert, I mean, you, 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 you've got a list as long as my arm here, you know, you've got uh, uh, Golden Compass, as you said, Born Automator. Yeah, three of them. Yeah, um, Dark Knight, Kingdom, Harry Potter, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, they're a tiny little, tiny little cameo, Waving yeah. Dickie Tree. Yeah, flies past, you know, I'll wave that effort and flies past, so, yes. I'll have to go back and watch and check it out. Yeah, yeah, I've got the photo from the, uh, from the TV series on my desk. Ah, well, I'll do that and I'll analyse. And um, the latest in the early journey? Yeah, tiny little part in that, uh, just uh, second unit kind of stuff, maybe three years ago now. So, yeah. uh, one of the guys in the office. So, um, I don't, I, I saw it and I didn't get to spot the shot. I've had people come up to me, oh, I saw you in a... So, uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a pop. <laughs> so, what's next? Uh, well, I'm actually training to be a teacher or a lecturer at the moment. I'm at university as a mature student of my hometown of Norwich. So, uh, specializing in? Film uh, and television. Uh, I've got one more year left of my degree, and then I need to do a teacher uh, qualification, teaching qualification. So, it yeah. could be two more years. And hopefully I'll be uh, able to teach the, the subject I love, which is media, film, TV, drama, and nothing like that. Amazing. <laughs> right, shall we open up the floor a little bit? Yeah, so go for it. Anyone want to ask me question? a question? Yeah. Anyone want to ask any questions? Come on. If I can do it, anyone can. Oh. Thank you. You said that we didn't know just there? There we go. Hello. Hello. Right. Don't eat it, but almost eat it. No, it doesn't look like nice. You say that we did it when we started out then get over self-consciousness and stuff. Yeah, I have a I suppose self-conscious of my size and yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that a Demon that you still fight, or have you... Well, I used to be 28 stone, <laughs> I'm now 19, so I've lost a fair bit of weight, but I mean, that was a personal journey really, I was quite ill, and uh, yeah, I ended up in hospital, and I really needed to be weller, I mean, I've just become a father, so I wanted to be there for the son, so yeah, I mean, there was lots of, lots of other motivation to get better, I mean, obviously I'm still a big guy, and I'm fine, but yes, it was... Definitely something I wanted to overcome, yeah. You certainly seem to. Thank you. Cheers. Anyone else have any questions? 
Hello, Matt. Thank you very much for sharing the story. It's very Thank inspirational. Um, what's your favourite place in the Isle of Wight? Um, I've only been here three times, and most of it's actually here, because this is where the event is. Uh, I did come and stay in a lovely house last year, but I'm not sure where that was. I mean, I could probably find out, but that was lovely. But to be honest, everywhere is nice, um, and the people are really friendly, which is... Uh, I mean, it's maybe it's a pinch to say that because I'm here, but no, I'm going to come back next year, um, you know, in a, in a holiday kind of capacity with my family because, yeah, I love it. I mean, I went to Jersey this year and that was lovely. And uh, I think Little Island is going to have friendlier people on They were really friendly in Jersey as they are here. So, um, really, it's the area we are at the moment is the sort of one I've seen the most of on the other way. Anyone else have any questions? I can, I can certainly come up with some more. Anyone? Right. Okay, back to me then. So, you had... What would be a dream job for you? Also, just before you go, is there someone that can tell me when we're out of time? Anyone? Huh? I'll just... I've got two minutes left. Right, okay. Last question then. Okay. The two dream... Uh, the sort of franchises I'd love to work on would be James Bond and Doctor Who. Nice. My last two, really. I've done a lot of what I wanted to do, which is Star Wars, and obviously I've done the Harry Potter and the Batman franchises. Um, yeah, but to me, it would be Doctor Who and James Bond, two of my favourite. You know, I love James Bond films. Well, uh, if Russell T Davies is watching, yeah. Doctor but Who. I got to work with uh, Daniel Craig on Duncan Compass. Oh, yeah. And he was such a lovely guy. And at that point, he wasn't at James Bond. He'd filmed the first episode. Um, so when I was chatting to him, I wasn't chatting to him as chatting to him as James Bond. It, all I really knew from was Larry Cake, which was his precursor to getting the Bond gig, really. It was because of Larry Cake and ended up getting James Bond. So uh, if you look at it, you can see why. It's, on later layer cake DVD releases and he's holding the gun up like that like he is in Bond and they reckon that's the image that got him the, the job really. Wow! So yeah. That's yeah. a lovely guy. Did you really gossip? No, no. He's, he's just a nice guy. Uh, apparently since Bond he finds it very difficult to go out now because obviously he gets yeah. sort of, he gets sort of a lot of fan attention. So. I've heard he's absolutely a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, yeah. Never met him. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much. No, it's been a pleasure, Paul. Thank you. And uh, I hope you have another day. And you yeah. the island. Yeah, come and see me. I'm, I'm over just on the right of where I'm sat now. And uh, we'll have a chat. No problem. Yeah, go over and see. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks thank for you. the questions. Thank you. So, lovely to meet you both. Um, we've got Samantha and David Howe here. Um, related? Yes. We're married. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> So, both of you prolific writers, which is, you know, incredible. Um, uh, I was just reading through some of the stuff that you guys have put out, which is just incredible. Um, I don't even know where to start, really. Let's start, let's start with you, Samantha. Is it, um, do, you want, do you want to be called Samantha Lee or Samantha? Sam. Sam? Sam is good. Sam, all right. Yeah, she's only called Samantha when she's in trouble. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I get you know, that. you know, we're Saturday today, so that's uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, but I've got a really long name. So my, my full name is Paul Alfred Thomas Dominic Pris Wilson. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a great name, right? <laughs> but, 
but whenever I was in trouble, it was Paul Alfred Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew, I knew what was it. It's probably a daily occurrence. Anyway, Sam, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you've done. So, 20, let's go to 2020. Uh, the Stranger in Our Bed. Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, The Stranger in Our Bed is loosely based on a story that a friend of mine told me about, about a woman who was catfished in the 1980s and fell for this guy and agreed to go off with him and run off with him. And when she turned up to the meeting point, he disappeared. And when my friend told me this, I suddenly got goosebumps on the back of my neck and I thought, I know who's behind that. And, and she said, when I told her what I was thinking, she said, no, 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 that, well, that didn't happen. I said, it did now, because that's how I'm going to write it. <laughs> <laughs> Once it's on paper, it's fact. It's like anything yes, on the internet, right? Once it's on the internet, it's real. It's true. Yeah, exactly. So you started out there, and then straight into 2021, uh, the House of Killers. Yeah, the House of Killers trilogy is kind of Killing Eve meets Jason Bourne. That's what I've got written down yeah, here. Um, Pitched as Killing Eve meets Jason Bourne. That's word exactly. for word. But it is actually, I say that, but it's lucid. I mean, the reason it's described as that is because it's a female assassin, it's very high impact, it's a high tech thriller, um, and I, I write very paced, so mm -hmm. the whole thing is, you know, it's like you're watching a movie when you're reading the book. It unfolds that way to me when I'm imagining it, so I then translate it to words, if that makes sense. So, I'm guessing you're a fan of the genre then? I am, I'm a fan of everything. I mean, obviously before that, before I started writing the thrillers, I'd written many, many books as Sam Stone, um, horror books and fantasy. Yeah, I was going to circle back around yeah, to those. Yeah, most of that actually does... Um, it, it, they're all sort of thrillerish, really. Mm. A lot of mine always have a mystery or a thriller element to them as well. So I think it was a natural progression for me to go mainstream, really, and start yeah. writing, you know, those. <laughs> well, the, the House of Killers novels have got some of my favourite scenes in kind of film, if that makes sense, in them. I think it's the second book starts with a plane crash. Yes, it uh, does. But it's, it's like a mid-air hijacking of this plane, um, and everyone ends up being killed and jump the, jumping out, God knows, it's a nightmare. But my favourite scene, my absolutely favourite scene in the book is this, the female assassin. Um, she's so good at her job um, that she always knows, she's always one step ahead. She's always planned it out, she knows where yeah. she's going, she knows how she's going to do it, she knows how she's going to clean up afterwards. She knows her exit route. And there's this great big sequence in one of the books where she's just killed someone in an apartment block. Um, and she's been chased by the MI6 agents through this apartment block. So it's a bit like one of those chase scenes that you'll see, it's like smashing through doors and leaping through windows, and they're chasing, chasing, chasing through, and they're right behind her, right behind her, and she gets to this window and looks out, and she checks, yeah, everything's good. So she leaps out the window, falls down where there's an awning that she'd seen, she goes to the awning, she slides off the awning, jumps, bounces, and then goes to some dogs that are by a, a, a thing, picks the dogs, and then walks off down the road. In the meantime, the agents will go, where the hell? Oh, in the window, where is she? Where is she? And all I just see is a lady walking her dogs. It's absolutely brilliant. Best way for a spy. You hide in plain sight. That's the thing. I, know. I did a lot of research for those books, which was absolutely brilliant. I got um, a guy who works for the government who was a consultant for me. I can't tell you who he is, or I'd have to kill you all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he was just so amazing, the help he gave me. And 
I spoke to people, um, a, a company called Accuracy International, who actually provide all the sniper weapons for our army, for our military. And so I, I was having conversations with these guys uh, during lockdown about how, you know, I was Googling it. I thought, and at the time we lived in Lincoln, right in the middle of Spook Central. And I thought, any minute I'm going to get a knock on my door now. And so I sent an email to them and said, look, this is going to be really strange. But I'm a thriller writer here, you can check me out. I need to know how to use this weapon and what weapon I would use. And so they gave me all this fantastic research. Um, but it's it's very exciting, you go down a lot of rabbit holes when you write it. I bet, it's, it's amazing the stuff you find out. I mean, I, I, I never knew that you, you could get a sniper rifle that will kill someone a mile away. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you can take a beat on them a mile away, and then you've got to think about, well, what's the wind resistance yeah, going to be on the bullet? So where do you aim? You don't aim at the person. Yeah, you have to aim somewhere else because the bullet's yeah. kind of going to do that together. And yeah. there's devices you can buy which tell you where you have to aim based yeah. on the wind speed or what.
know, any any number of the the target books. You must, you must be remember what it was like. You know, you'd save your pennies and That's right, uh, get, yes, get yes. anyone you could. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I bought my first Charlie book around 1974 um, in Newquay, in Cornwall, when we were on holiday. Right. W.A. Smith had the Curse of Peladon in. Um, and that was the first one I bought with my pocket money, um, which is fantastic. And I very quickly then went and bought all the other ones, filled all the back gaps in and everything. And then basically carried on sort of finding them. But I think initially we had no clue when they were coming out. We didn't know. You know, you just had to go down the shops and see. And of course, as a kid, one week as a month is a, you know, time is a bit more longer. So a week feels like an eternity. Um, but yeah, no, it was great doing that book and, and pulling all that information together um, and doing the original research for Doxy Magazine, uh, yeah. which is where the, the, the core of the book came from. Um, it was also interesting, and uh, you know, talking to the editors, Richard Henwood, who sadly no longer with us, the original editor, and you know, the art directors and people, and just getting the background into how all these books and stuff came together, the covers. And of course, we well, the covers, the covers were always blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, like yes, yesterday we came from Western Superman, yeah. where there's a new display. It just opened yesterday. Was the, the preview night yesterday? Um, of the biggest collection of Doctor Who cover art, original cover art, that there's ever been. Wow. Um, and that's on display at Western Museum um, until January. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing. And I've, I've donated 29 pictures to that, and other collectors have donated lots of stuff. And it's, again, an amazing nostalgia fest yeah. of, of all this amazing artwork that was on the books. And it's not just the Target books. They've also got DVD covers and other wow. artwork, original artwork all the way up to um, some of Anthony Dry's additional prints and some of his new covers that he's wow. been doing. Um, it was fabulous last night, fabulous. A lot of the artists were there. Jeff Cummings was there and Colin Howard, Anthony was there. Um, yeah, Andrew right. Skillitzer was there. Yeah. Wow. All these legends, the yeah. legends of Target art. It's amazing. Yeah. That's, a great, that's a great book. I've got one copy on the table over there. Yeah. So. Uh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's just... Uh, the only kids won't... won't uh, you know, the struggle yeah. <laughs> that, that we struggle. went through. <laughs> the, the other thing I remember about Target Books was being sort of in my teens and Lightning Doctor was just incredibly uncool. So I remember sitting on the bus and I'd have my... Being a nerd was an insult then, whereas oh, now yeah. it's a compliment. Yeah. But I'd buy uh, NME or something and inside... I'd have my target. <laughs> just so no one knew. Oh, no, yeah. smash it or smash it. Yeah. Smash it. Um, I could just get my thumbs so I could hold the book open and still make it look like I was reading smash oh, it. Because it was, yeah. That's great. It was That's a real great. struggle back then. It was a struggle. It was a struggle. But no, mentioning Starburst, I mean, I, I was a book reviewer uh, primarily for Starburst. Uh, for 16 years I did that, uh, reviewing books every, every month. Um, and of course that introduced me, I, I loved it anyway, to uh, the great world of horror fantasy fiction. Um, and so reviewing all the books, I also did a lot of interviews with the authors and met lots of the authors and all sorts of stuff in that period. It was very, very, it was fun, you know, every month kind of trying, trying to come up with an author interview for Starburst and what three, four books we're going to review this month and keeping it all kind of moving forward was great I, Yeah, I, 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 I religiously thought, and I really was. I really was cutting when, when, yeah. it, when it went under. It's yeah. very, yeah. very sad. Very sad, yes. Anyway, let's uh, open up the, the floor to see if anyone has any questions. <laughs> any questions, ladies and gentlemen? No. Don't be shy. Yes. Hello. Have a shout. 
I really enjoyed his the reboot with Christopher and we all want Helen don't we so you know well, thank you very much. All right. Lovely meeting you both and lovely having a chat. Yeah. Thank you. And make sure you go and see them down near the number five. 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 Oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Well, next up was Mickey Lewis, uh, who's well known as being a, a monster actor on uh, Doctor Who and uh, Harry Potter and, of course, Star Wars. Right. That's quite an interesting to say. <laughs> How did you get into the game of being a monster? Uh, they just rang me up and said, do you want to be on Doctor Who? And I said, uh, do I have to? That's the way conspiracy theory starts, isn't it? They didn't tell me I was going to be a Dalek, though. Not until I arrived, and then they said, you know you're going to be a Dalek. I went, hey, brilliant. <laughs> Pinch me. Pinch no, me now. Not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. I had to try out all the different Daleks. Um, there's Asylum of the Daleks in nine, uh, 2012, and they had all the Dalek casings from the whole period of Doctor Who, yeah. right from the 60s. So I had Evil of the Daleks Dalek, which I tried out, and it was really cramped. Had to trick my neck like that. And then they put me in the Paradigm Dalek, which is a massive Dalek, like a moving tank. Yeah, that thing's uh, amazing. Yeah, that was I mean, great. I've seen the photo of you in that. Oh, yeah, I was a, did the BAFTAs. Yeah. And I was annoying various celebrities. Yeah, yeah. the Tommy Russell. Yes. <laughs> Anton Yeah, they don't, they don't like being teased. They like to dish it out, but they don't like it back, I'll tell you that. So they're about the right size to be a Dalek, aren't they? A tiny little Well, for the modern Daleks, yeah, the bronze Daleks. Yeah. We were all pretty much the same height, 5'10", 5'11". Whereas in the 60s, it's more like 5'5", 5'6", 5'7". So that's why it was so hard in the evil Dalek. So I got out that one very quickly. <laughs> and they stuck me in the special weapons Dalek for the Capone episode, and that was very tight, cramped as well. But it looks incredible. Yeah, and you couldn't see out of it at all. <laughs> I demolished one of the other Daleks because I couldn't see him. <laughs> Just took his head off. Well, it's special weapons, right? Yeah. In, in my, um, my little studio office at home, I've got, I've got a Dalek from the first series that I brought Doctor Who back. That was one of the, yeah. one of the prop, one of the prop Daleks. Oh, brilliant! How did you get hold of that? I used to work on the show. Ah. Uh, uh, what did you do on the show, Paul? <laughs> We're interviewing you now. Come on, come on. It was, yeah, it's probably the most boring <laughs> job. My job was to, uh, I was continuity, uh, continuity editor. That's not boring though, because you get to see everything, don't you? Yeah, but also any of the mistakes <laughs> because I didn't pick it up. <laughs> you get the you get the flat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah so Which they, ones did you work on then? Did you work? I worked on uh, the two series finale. Well, the three series finale because it was two and a half because there was a different ending. Right. There's two different endings. So I worked, worked on those, and uh, I worked on... What, what, when was this though? How many years ago? Oh, this was, this was Eccleston. Oh, okay. So the whole of that series. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I, worked, I worked on about 80% of the uh, episodes. Ooh. Yeah. So I worked for BBC Technology, and um, they were looking for someone part-time to go and do this. And I thought, 
I thought everyone would apply. Yeah. But, but, but Doctor Who was still in that place where, ah, you know, everyone sort of remembered that I was a little bit crap, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and Little did they learn. applied for it, and no one yeah. else in the whole of the BBC applied for this. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, so I was lucky enough to do it. But, um, yeah, so they blew these Daleks. They had, they had these fiberglass prop Daleks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they digitally copied them. Um, and they blew this one up, and they were just going to throw it out. And I said, oh, can I have that? And I said, sure. But get, take it away now. Brilliant. What a big lucky devil. Yeah. People would pay, you know, thousands for that, no? Right? He's a bit broken, though. Well, I've fixed it mostly. Can you get in it? Or no, no, it no, I can't get in it, no. Oh, so it's just for decoration. Yeah, it was just on wheels. You should have brought it along. Uh, no, well, this, this is the story. This was the story I was getting to. Uh, when I... So I built my studio at Catherine House because I wasn't allowed to have all my crap in the house anymore. So I built this thing. It's sort of like... Uh, it's four... Uh, four metres by three metres. Yeah. yeah. And so I built it. And I was I went to put the Dalek in and I realised I couldn't get it through the door. So I take one of the walls out, put it in, put the wall... I did it again, put the wall back in, so that Dalek ain't going down. Oh, it's stuck there, no, no. Yeah. Oh, you can't give it to me then if you can't get it out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you 50 quid for it. <laughs> uh, right, so you've been... The plethora of things that you've been amazing. Um, uh, Thank time, you. Uh, unit soldier, Sea Devil. Sea Devil, yeah. Let's talk a little about that. Yeah, well, I thought that'd be interesting for the people around here. Cause I was going to say, we, love a, we yeah. love a Sea Devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking out for the seaport on the Berry Crossing, but couldn't see it in the dark. No, yeah, Apparently, yeah. it's not. If you come from Southampton, you can't see it. No, no, you have to come from Portsmouth. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we do love it. But yeah, I absolutely love the Sea Devil costume. Really hot, hottest day of the year we build on in South Wales. There's 35 degrees, and then you've got the house, sweating suit, the armour, and the studio lights. Yeah, it was incredibly hot. Like a furnace. <laughs> Stewing in there. Stewing in there. You just have to do monsters then and imagine yourself on a cool beach. Oh. Naked on the cool beach. So you have to get through it. They gave us little hand fans, which I had to put in our mouths. Oh, that's where our eyes were, our face was in our mouths, and the rest was just big head. How long did it take you to get all that? Um... It was about half an hour, 45 minutes. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because we already had the under costume on, just right. like the stripy trousers, and we had the Zorro makeup over our eyes, yeah. uh, Adamant sort of makeup, so that yeah. you couldn't see our faces. And then we just put the armour on and the, the head. Okay. But once you got the head on, it was such a path to get it off, so we had to sit with the head on for a long, long time, even when we weren't being used. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> what if you had to go to the door or something, where you strapped in, you couldn't get out? Well, this part was fine, the body part oh, was fine, it was just yeah. the head. Yeah, I think there was a discreet zip somewhere, or a buckle, a buckle or two. A friend of mine was in uh, Torchwood, and she played um, the Cyberwoman. And, um, oh, the wooden cyber. No, 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 the, the, this is the female cyber. The cyber woman from the first series of Torchwood. Oh. Um, anyway, she, um, she couldn't go to the loop. She, she had to have someone go with her to the loop and hold her. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't, they couldn't get her out of it. Oh, no. they got her out of, and when they got her out of it, the whole thing collapsed. It was just all held together with tape. 
<laughs> we had little zips in our cyber suits as well, and underneath, and then there was a panel you could remove, so it wasn't too bad. So, were you a Doctor Who fan before? I was, yeah. Uh, I wrote two Doctor Who books uh, for BBC back in the early 2000s. Uh, oh, nice, which ones were they? Rags and Combat Rock, both infamous. Oh, really? Yeah, both infamous, lots of sex and violence in them. Doctor Who fans weren't ready for that at the time. <laughs> so yeah, it became a coincidence that I ended up working on the show as well. So yeah, I always loved Pertwee and Trout and uh, Tom Baker. So let's, let's, let's talk a little about um, Pertwee, sorry. About? About Pertwee. Pertwee? Yeah, well, go on. David Doctor. Yeah. So you got you got to be him. I got of. to be him. I got to wear his actual costume. Was it actually his costume? It's his actual costume. Bits from different eras. David Howe will be able to give you more information. He's a real mind of information on costumes and things. Daniel David is is the guy who here is. He's such a miles away selling his now. selling his tat in his stool. It <laughs> 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 can't be in that either, luckily. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, oh yeah, it was his actual costume. Uh, not David's, it was Tom Bertie's actual costume. Um, <laughs> his cloak, I think, was from uh, Terror of the Orton's, possibly. The shirt was definitely from Terror of the Orton's. The cloak might have been from Planet of the Spiders. David again will tell you. Um, and I put the trousers on, and I bent down to tie up the shoes, shoelaces, and I heard this almighty uh, and I'd ripped the arse out of John Bertie's actual trousers. I mean, they're pretty old. So. <laughs> they were pretty. They were 40 years old at the time, so and that was getting on for 10 years. Wait, it was 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So yes, and then um, so I had the wig on and everything, and then we all lined up. Matt Smith joined us. David Tennant, John Hurt. Wasn't expecting to see John Hurt there. That would have been incredible. <laughs> and uh, for some bizarre reason, what's John Hurt doing here? What's John Hurt doing here? That's what we were saying. What's he doing? Because they're so secretive about the script, yeah. they didn't want you to know anything. Uh, it's always the case on Doctor Who. But anyway, because I, I, I was dressed as John Pertwee, I turned to Matt Smith, who was standing right next to me, and for some, God, I have no idea why I did it, for some stupid reason, I turned into Wilson Gummidge. Nice. And I did a Wilson Gummidge impression of Matt Smith. I mean, okay. And he looked at me, uh, I'm never nervous, he just looked at me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows he here on to set? Who's this guy? What's he doing? He obviously didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> he obviously not a John Pertwee fan. <laughs> if it had been Peter Capaldi, he'd have left it. Yeah, for Right, I think, uh, how long have we got? Five minutes? Timekeeper. Yeah, five minutes. Right, let's open up the floor for the Doctor Who fans to ask their questions. Are we going to run it be nice and loud, like you're going to swallow it. Hi. Hiya. Did you get to keep any of the box? Oh, if only, if only. I was so tempted to mix inside and end gloves. So tempted, but I couldn't do it to them because they only had a limited number. And then I had uh, skeleton gloves as well from uh, Siren of the Daleks. Really long, creepy. I was so tempted to put those in my pocket as well, but I couldn't do it to them. <laughs> so no, they don't give you anything. They haven't got any money and they always keep on, you know, tight hold of everything they've got. Mind but you, I heard that John Pertwee was renowned for stealing pops. 
Actually, actually, um, I played a harbour master in Fat of the Land and I had to wear a seamen's, purple seamen's jumper. And that did go in my bag. <laughs> but then I tried to, I got it out my wardrobe a few months ago. Lots have destroyed it, so huge hole in it. So it's karma for you. Yeah. That's what you get for being a thief. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, as a kid, you were a Doctor Who fan. Yes. What's the scariest villain for you in the Doctor Who series? Oh, well, I used to be terrified of the Ice Warriors and the Cybermen. The Cybermen in black and white, unbelievably scary to a kid, really. And they didn't march like robots like they do nowadays, like soldiers. I think, oh, I rail against that. Stop making them march two by two, it's not scary. But they, they won't listen. But back in the old days, Cybermen didn't march two by two like a squadist. Soldiers, which I don't think is scary. So the Cybermen were the Sea Devils, of course, yes. terrified me. Um, I was too, I missed the Yeti, I was too young for that. Um, but I love the Yeti now, I'd like to be a Yeti. If they ever bring them back, I'd love to be a Yeti. Uh, I think the last time we saw, the, uh, saw a Yeti was in the Five Doctors. Yes, very, very briefly. I should bring them back. It might be a rights issue again, but... I'd be into that. Any other questions? Ladies and gentlemen, here's your chance to ask a Doctor Who question. Huh? Any more questions? Because I've got plenty. Alright, I'll do it. Back to the front centre. I feel like this is the Paul Wilson show. <laughs> Julian, do you have a question? Huh? Come on, Julian, you've got a question, haven't you? <laughs> oh, come on, don't let, let me down. And don't ask about Peter's fish pie. <laughs> but he puts in his hair, the fish pie product. <laughs> um, oh, what was it like playing a sea devil? Uh, very hot. Very hot and sweaty. And we didn't get used to that, so I was a bit disappointed. They cut a whole scene out. They cut a whole scene out, which is really creepy. Oh, no. I don't know why they did. Yeah, we were in the um, under sea spacecraft, the sea devil spacecraft, or sea craft, whatever it was, and our leader said to us, prepare to submerge. And we, it was, it was only about uh, six, six of us, but they replicated us with CGI, but we all had to go, submerge. And they cut it, it's really creepy, cut it. <laughs> It'll serve for one, service one day. Right. So we've only got uh, two or three minutes left. Who, who would you love to play? Any character from anything? Uh, anything. I'd love to be the master. That'd be fun. <laughs> That'd be amazing, eh? Yeah. Would you do it with the, uh, the goatee? Or? Yes, definitely. Do a Roger, Roger Delgado. He's the only master for me. Come on. Roger Delgado. Unbeatable. Yeah, but I don't know, but... Um... No, no, not even discussing it. Roger, no, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one. Well, I'm getting there two minutes. Two I thought minutes. you said two misses, but... Two misses. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's your favourite one? Oh, actually, yeah, that's a bit harsh on uh, what's his name, Sasha. He's a lovely lad. I met him at a con, saw him again at a con recently, and he, he reminded him of when I was his Nazi officer when he was on Spyfall. He was fantastic. He was. I, I he was really good. Not as good as Roger the Goldo, but uh, <laughs> he was good. He was good. So, I think I told him that as well. Favourite creature? <laughs> Favourite creature of all time? Uh, 
it was the Sea Devil, but now I played the Sea Devil, probably the Yeti. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Yeti. I'm a Cyberman, the, yeah. the black and white Cyberman. Fantastic. Well, I was glad they brought back an older version of the Cyberman helmet, oh. which I played in uh, Ascension of the Cybermen. It was amazing. It's yeah. so good to see it. Absolutely. It's brilliant. But that was one of, was one of my favourite episodes from that series. Do you like Timeless Child? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I thought it was That's amazing. That's the, the response we get. <laughs> oh, I thought it was fantastic. Oh, good. It was really challenging. Yes, yes. You know, it was really interesting. I like, I like Rewriting the whole uh, Canaan, but... Uh, well, I, I like when they challenge people, and I like yeah. when they, they do something different. Yeah. And I'm one of these people that are really into can, uh, that's canon or not. The way yeah. I see it is, either it's all canon or none of it's canon, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's fiction, and yeah. it, it's yeah, going to no, do something amazing, do something amazing, and you're going to do something balls and do it, and they did, and I yeah. thought it was great. He was widely reviled for that, but... No, I thought it was great. Well, thank you so much, time's you're up. You're very welcome. And, and yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, it was lovely to meet you. We are with... So I'm going to say your name. How do you say it? Paul. Uh, Jane Smith. <laughs> you wish it was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yay! Perfect pronunciation. <laughs> no, I do my best. And I, I've just been looking through your, um, your, 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 your body of work. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really stuck out was Titi Bang Bang. Titi Bang Bang. Yeah! Yeah! That was a while ago. Yeah. I, I, I've forgotten all about that. I, <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I remember that. Yeah, female-led sketch show. Yeah. Which was Tamar, who's an absolute legend. That was, oh, so yeah, fun. That was like, I, um, that was years ago, actually. That was so I was fun. Yeah, right. Beginning right. of my career, that was. Beginning of the noughties. Yeah, beginning of the noughties, exactly. Well. Yeah. But, yeah. But a lot of fun, so much fun. And I also noticed that in 2004 you played a prostitute. I did. Highlight of your career. Uh, can I actually tell you something about the prostitute role? I was playing, I was in a film, and um, we went to um, an area, we went to Brick Lane in London, and there's oh, yeah. lots of, um, you know, ladies of the night there, and the um, camera was quite far down the road, so I, I had to blend in with the rest of the ladies working. And within five seconds of them saying action, I actually had a punter pull up for me. <laughs> I did not take him up on his oh. offer. <laughs> I pointed to the camera, and I've never seen someone speed off in the car so fast in my life. <laughs> well, prostitution's not illegal. It's for the Very convincing. <laughs> right, but, um, I'm sure I'm okay with it. <laughs> And uh, also, uh, Katie Brand's Big Ass Show. Yeah, Katie Brand's Big Ass Show. That was so much fun as well. Katie Brand, what a legend, right? She's absolutely brilliant. So much fun to work with. Really talented. Yeah, absolutely. Really talented. And she just, um, I mean, when I started, I was like, oh, it's Katie Brand. This is really nerve-wracking. But she's so sweet. Really, really nice to work with. Very generous as well. I had so much fun doing that. And I promise you, we will get to Doctor Who, but there's one thing I want to talk about before we get there. One of my favourite shows is Misfits. Misfits is amazing. I have the record for the most short-lived probation worker on Misfits. <laughs> they all got killed, but I got killed the quickest, and I'm very proud of that world record. I think I lasted about 
two minutes wow. before I got eaten by zombie cheerleaders. <laughs> it was an amazing show. It was so, so interesting and different and odd, right? Yeah. I, and, I, and I don't think, I, I remember when it first came out, I, I actually was at a moment of Um uh, it's actually a convention I met my wife yeah, yeah. Um, but you don't hear that story. She's still um, sticking it, she's still she's stuck around then, yeah? My wife? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brave <laughs> lady. For my sins. I don't know why. So, so, so I'm not going to Actually, this is a side note. We once, we once went out, and I, one of our friends was there, and, yeah. and every time I went to the bar to get a drink, my friend went over and talked to her. And then later that night, um, my wife said, my wife said, no, um, James, I think, yeah. asked me why I was with you. And I said, what? Well, I said, what did you say? And she said, well, I said, you never, you, you never did better, so you never cheat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paul, to I'll get a couple of, I just heard you, what did you just say? The show goes, There we go. I just heard <laughs> Do you know about that? No. I did, um, <laughs> I did a um, series, oh, it was so much fun, a CDBC series called Class Dismissed. And the basic point is, have you got it on there? should be on there. But um, there was a documentary called Educating Essex, and it was like a fly-on-the-wall series um, in our high school. And we got the idea from that, and this was like a mockumentary, right. um, class dismissed. And the, the pupils were normal, but the teachers were barking mad. Like, so you had, like, for instance, Mr. Cap, who was like this middle-class guy trying to be really down with the kids. And then there was, um, I played Miss Goldfish, who had a three-second memory, so she'd keep repeating the same thing for class. <laughs> and then the one they just created there was uh, Miss Franks, was one of the other um, characters I played. And she talked French, but she had like a street accent, and she didn't really know French. So she, her famous line would be, she'd be like, how do you say cafe in French? La caf. Like things like that. Which is ridiculous. Excellent pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, but one of the famous lines she would say. But they were just quoting a line that she'd always say, Je voudrais un sandwich avec jambon uh, fromage. Like, and that was like basically the only thing she could say in that accent. It was just ridiculous. Nice. <laughs> Do you say that all the time? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> There you go, so you got the hands. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like when people are funnier than me. It's their fault. I don't think it's <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, <laughs> I was going to bring up, oh yeah, I've got class dismissed on here. Yeah. 2016 and 2017, yeah. all episodes. And it says you played various characters. Various characters. <laughs> let's go, let's talk about Doctor Who. That's what everyone, everyone's here for Doctor Who, right? I yes. presume so. <laughs> You're supposed to be. <laughs> See, so let's talk a little bit about Doctor Who. Oh, it's just incredible. Um, getting that phone call, I'll never forget. It was really weird because I did the audition the week before and then I was doing a tour at the time and I was staying at my friend's house and I had a dream that I'd got the phone call to say I'd got the part and when I woke up I was like mm. 
really sad. Literally five minutes later, the phone went, and my agent was like, "Are you sitting down?" And I was like, "I'm actually lying down. I'm still in bed." What's up? And she was like, "Hangover." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it was a hangover. <laughs> but then she said, "You've got the part." I was, it was literally, do you know that emoji with the brain coming out of the skull? It was literally felt like that. And I remember after I spoke to her, I just sat there like, what the, what? I literally had to take some moments to process it. I remember when I called my dad to say, we're going to be in Doctor Who. And I had a really croaky voice because I'd been out the night before. And he was like, Doctor, what's happened to you? What's the matter? And I was like, no, but the show. Doctor, I'm going to be in Doctor. And I remember calling my mum and she was at work and just hearing. She used to work as a health visitor and she was in the office. And like, I could just hear her colleagues screaming in the background. It was just like the best feeling ever. It was so great. And then the first day, pulling up in the car, um, to shoot the first scene that you see in the episode, David Tennant saw me and he came running over straight away. And he was like, "You're playing your bell, you're playing with it." He gave me a massive hug. It was just the best experience ever. I was just made to feel so welcome. I loved my socks on every single day. David Morrissey and David Tennant just had me in fits yeah. all day. I remember actually when we did the first read through, and. It, I thought normally when I do a read through, it's just the director, the producer, the other actors, it's quite intimate. I walked into this room and everyone from Doctor Who was there, from Doctor Who magazine, Doctor Who, and I just must have, obviously David Tennant was there, David Morrissey, Dermot Irwin, and I must have just been standing at the doorway like rabbit with <laughs> the headlights yeah. like. And Dervla Curlin was lovely. She just came and brought me in and said, sit next to me. I'm nervous as well, but I was just, I think I just sat there with my mouth open for a good 10 minutes. But um, best experience ever. And I'll just, I'll cherish that forever and ever. And I remember when I first got the part, someone said to me, that's it, you've got a job for life now. And I didn't really understand what they were going about. But doing things like this, many years after the episode, is just really very grateful. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Doctor Who fans are like the best fans ever. And I, I do think that sometimes. What, you want me to come and do a convention? What, you remember who I am? Yeah, but it's really lovely, and then, yeah, it's it's a wonderful family, and I'm really grateful to be a part of it, I really am. It was a great episode, too. I remember the thing that I liked so much about it was, um, uh, as I was saying to uh, Nikki earlier, if you're going to do something bonkers, really do something bonkers, (laughs) and they did, you know, they delivered on something really bonkers. Yeah. Um, You know, and... And the the costumes and the the uh, it, everything about it was just so interesting and different. And you know, you had had people, you know, these these cyber cyber shades, cyber shades running around in their woolly outfits. And you know, the whole thing was it was just beautiful and just beautifully bonkers. And, yeah. and your character is amazing. I love Spazita. I really love pain. I remember when I was reading the scripts and just thinking, oh my gosh, this is such a good part. And obviously wanted it, but thinking, I'm probably not going to get it. But I'm so grateful to the pain. She's going to see her go on to be a lot. She's got a mean white hook as well, hasn't she? Yeah, I like that. That's how I knew I was going to marry my wife. But speaking of the costumes, obviously I had the um, the corset and stuff on. Yeah. I made the worst mistake ever on the first day of filming. 
I am I lit you born as your father. They had this incredible breakfast spread, like everything you want, it was there. So obviously my eyes went boom, plated up the biggest fire I've ever had and stuffed my face. I don't know why I did that, because two minutes after finishing, I was literally lying on the floor like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> It was a food coma, food coma, and then literally costume came and knocked on the door. Try to put your costume on, oh, with every tug, of course, I thought I was going to be sick, but I thought, I'm not going to say anything, I can't. But keep it down, I was like, I learnt my lesson, don't eat a fry up and put a corset on straight away, not a good idea. What was it like I always wondered whether they actually did tighten right up or whether it's, you know, just... Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I've got boobs. This is great. Where did this come from? Have a great. Sorry. I don't know what you say that. I was really happy, so I was absolutely fine. It's tucked away still. Great. Yeah, that's amongst many, many other great That's what I really love. I love the Cyberkin. I mean, it's you know, great transformers. It's amazing, yeah. And, you know, so you're going to go bonkers, go, yeah. go really bonkers. <laughs> Let's open it up to the floor. Who has some questions? Come on. Someone must have a question. It's too funny. They make me look bad. <laughs> get to go in the TARDIS in the TARDIS set when you weren't filming? Yeah, I did. I snuck in. <laughs> I was like, Rosita doesn't get to go into the TARDIS, so it was lunch break and everyone gone to eat and I snuck in there and I got a little picture in there. But it's, it's amazing. It's really, really cool. Oh, that was a bit naughty of me, but that's what I'm like. So <laughs> that was my little chance. I took it. <laughs> I've got a piece. I've got a little piece from... The Yeah, I have been here before. I went again when I was about 20 with um, the next boyfriend, and the dog talked about him. <laughs> and I was actually here at this event, what was it, Paul? Was it 2000 and... 
I think 2019, no, yeah, yeah, 2018 yeah. or 19. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I always love coming back here and it's had so much fun. And I just love how um, it's just nice getting out of London. I love London, don't get me wrong. But it is just nice to get away, be by the sea. It's just a lot more relaxed here. People have actually got time to say hello to you <laughs> and not barge past you. So, yeah, it's got really lovely childhood memories here as well. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you did it. Yeah, read That's a really good question. I used to try and watch Doctor Who when I was little, but that classic story of hiding behind the sofa from the Daleks, I was absolutely petrified and I couldn't watch it at all. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I did get into the um, new series when it started and um, really, really enjoyed it. It's just amazing that um, Russell T Davies brought it back. So what's that? What was that? You look great, by the way. I love your outfit. It's yeah. wicked. I'll just walk over my fingers there. Finish it, do any other questions? Why don't you do a rap, Paul? Do a Doctor Who rap. He raps, by the way. He writes rap. Why don't you do. Get a spit some bars. Yo, yo, yo. It's the doctor in the house. Sitting right next to my TARDIS. I am the man, I was going to swear then, so I'm not doing it anymore, I'm not a freestyle rapper, I'm a, I'm a time lord. Word. Mic drop. That's how we do it in time and space, uh, y'all. Don't put up a fight, we're smashing it here in the Isle of Wight. Yo! Yo, check, check. There we go. See, I, I told you we'd do that. Yeah, you did. You did. How do you always manage to maybe do these things? I'm like, I'm not doing that. And somehow it happens. I'm, I'm a charming guy. This is just trouble here, isn't it? It's trouble. Oh, I'm being told the end. Thank yeah, you very guys, much. Thank you so very much. An absolute pleasure, <laughs> as always. Oh. If someone recorded that, it's going to be number one. Yeah, oh, definitely. No it's doubt. Number one. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are here with uh, the iconic Oh. from Blackadder. Here we are. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Wow. Um, probably one of the most iconic characters. We'll get to Blackadder in a minute. I'd like to try and go around with uh, the body of work before we get to the one that everyone wants to listen to. Indeed. So, I didn't realise you were in Grange Hill. Oh, I was in Grange Hill years ago. Yeah. I was in most things at one point or another <laughs> over the years. I mean, that, that was, Grange Hill for me was, um, it was a seminar, you know, it was, it was, just, it was something that I, religiously watched as a child. You know, it was just something that really spoke to him. So, do you know you Yeah, I can hardly remember even what I was. <laughs> to be honest. I think I was a grown-up, I wasn't a child. No, well, it was uh, 1988. Yeah. So, uh, Very young grown-up. Young grown-up, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Green Hill. Uh, but I saw that, I was like, oh, great, fantastic. Um, 
that I, what I wanted to talk about was I noticed, and I just don't have any information on this, it said that you were in rent. No, that's absolute nonsense. I love Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Right. I, I thought it might be because there's no information about it. And I thought, it's you know so what, I'm going to ask you about it. I, think I should it. change it because I've done tons of theatre. But in Wikipedia it says the only theatrical thing she needs to done is the musical Rent. Yeah. And I haven't. <laughs> no, leave it. I think it's amazing. Yeah, thanks. I'll do it. I, I saw it and I thought... I cannot find anything about this. No, I know. Wikipedia makes things up. Wikipedia's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. A friend of mine wrote a novel, and um, he was working on his second one, and someone wrote this Wikipedia page that, that, he, that he wrote his second novel, and the, someone made up the title was um, Tales from a Straw Man, <laughs> the name of his next novel. And, and uh, my friend looked it up, and it was up there for about 10 years. Yeah, I know. It's just about it. <laughs> the ambassador. Yeah. They've captured. Skyrocketing, right? 
Oh, for the better, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. But then I think it's all going downhill a bit now because there's just too many, there's too many shows. There's too many platforms. And there ain't enough money for all. And the BBC is really short. I mean, it probably is. And it's just going to get really even worse now that they're sort of, you know, now that the Tories have passed the... Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great shame. It's an absolute tragedy. Let's, so let's go to what everyone wants to talk about, which is Blackadder. How did you get the gig? Um, well, I did audition. Um, it was between me and my friend who's called Carla Mendonca, who was in My Parents Are Aliens. Anyway, I got it. <laughs> um, we were in a show together in the West End with Daisy Bullsett off, and I was Daisy and she was my best friend. And they all, John Lloyd and all the people and Richard Curtis, they all came to see the show. Right. And then we did have an actual audition as well. And we both sort of knew, and I knew Ben, Carla knew Rowan. We were sort of part of the... Right. I mean, they probably saw other people as well. I just know it was me and Carla. That's how I got the gig. But it wasn't a gig that you thought was going to be anything extraordinarily special. Yeah. It wasn't a gig that is, you know, a week or so of your life. Yeah. A week and a half of your life, maybe two weeks. I didn't think I'd be talking about it 30 <laughs> years later. Is it, it's just such an iconic character that everyone loves Bob. Oh, yeah, and I mean, Bob is, I mean, it is based on Twelfth Night, really. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, um, yeah. But, 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 but at the time, no, it's just another job, and I was doing a lot of telly then. Yeah. I do remember going to Sainsbury's the morning after it was shown, and loads of people recognising me and being like, oh, <laughs> you watched it? <laughs> really? I don't think I'd watched it. And there was no streaming then. No. And I, luckily someone else had taped it in the VHS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing it, and I, I just remember being in Stitches. It was just, and, and, but it was and, surprising because the first series had bombed so bad. Yeah, it had, right? Yeah. That anybody was bothering to watch it at all, really. Well, they changed it so dramatically in the second series. Yeah, but you didn't know that when you sat down, did no, you? No. But there again, there wasn't so much choice then. There was probably Channel 4, 2, 3, and 4. And, no Netflix or anything. Yeah, yeah. But, so, when, when you sat down and said, you went through the, the, the script, did you have any inkling of how popular Bob was going to be? No, none. None whatsoever. It doesn't translate from well from the pages, you don't just don't know, do you? No, I think it does, and rehearsals were quite intense. I kept out of it because I was young, and, you know, they were all very, very clever, and they all argued quite a lot, constructively, but, you know, there was, it was very, it was very serious. It wasn't everybody talking about and having a great laugh. It was proper, serious comedy, you know. And you've got so many British comedy greats in the one room there, don't you? Oh, yes, Rick Mayo, you know, all those... Well, Richard Curtis, Richard and Ben writing together, so that's always a thing to two people are co-writing, yeah. you know. It's amazing when that works. But, you know, I do remember I'd sit and keep my mouth shut until somebody told me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it was surprising that um, uh, you were brought back, for you? Did they, did they just... <laughs> I don't think I was that surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, I expected them to call me that. <laughs> yeah, that's why would I be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... The lovely thing I think about 
but um, one of the lovely things about Blackout is the fact that they did bring back these characters in, in different incarnations, but you, you knew exactly who it was. And it was just such a thrill to see them. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So it's lovely when people don't disappear. Yeah. You know, it's like if you read a book and then the author writes another novel with some of the characters in it, and you go, "Oh, I'm so glad they're still around." What was it for you know, working with those guys in, in a city that was? Yeah. And I was saying to someone earlier, like, because it was all recorded in front of a live audience, yeah. I do remember Stephen Fry saying to me, me going a bit nervous, and he went, look, we're all nervous. It doesn't matter how famous you are or clever you are, or every, everybody has adrenaline and nerves, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's absolutely lovely, Stephen. I, um, I was managing editor for the Steve magazine. Oh, right. So I, um, we put on a fundraiser at... Um, you can't keep filming it again and again and again because the audience would come in at seven. Yeah. And I think we had to stop by certainly eleven. Right. So whereas, you know, on the floor normally you're just going again and again. You have to you have to keep the momentum going and you have to stop at a certain time. Yeah. Plus also the, the more you do it the less impact the jokes have, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So what what was it like? Just, they don't do live audio, and and because we didn't have canned laughter, yeah. So it was real laughter, but yeah. it just gives an edge to it. But maybe it looks really old-fashioned now doing it in front of an audience. So I don't, I, honestly, I've forgotten that that it was done. But it was, you know, it um, used to be you rehearsed for a week. It was like being in rep theatre. You know, you started on a Monday morning. You rehearse till Friday, where you have costume and that, and then you rehearse till Friday, and then on the Sunday you did the show. It was always on the Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did a few sitcoms like that. It was, and then they did another one the next week, you know. Kept you off the streets. Yeah. Right, let's open up the floor to some questions, shall we? Oh, one already. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Thank you very much. Um, quick question. What's been the most enjoyable job that you've done? Most enjoyable role or set or set of people 
Lupinhead. I mean, different jobs are enjoyable for different reasons. I mean, obviously, Blackadder I love. I loved being in Brookside because I made a lot of really good friends. I loved being in Family Affairs because they wrote terrific stuff for me, even though not that many people saw it. But they wrote me such good storylines. I had such fun. I've just done Death in Paradise and going to Guadalupe's work, I'm not say. <laughs> that's, that's quite a nice thing to do. You know, I love working. I like other actors. I really, really like being in their company. I mean, not all of them. <laughs> that's the odd one. But I just love working, to be honest. You know? And I think, as an actor, if you can still make a living of some sort and keep surviving, then you're really, really lucky. Because most don't. Be honest. And I did used to love theatre. I did. Any other questions? Yes, we're going to Do you often stay in touch with the actors and actresses that you've worked with? Do you often stay in contact with the actors? Yes, I stay in contact with lots of them actually. Yeah. Especially if you've done a, quite a long-running thing. Well, I see Ben from who wrote Backadder because we've known each other since I was 11, so we still keep in touch. Um, yes, I often do. I stay in touch with a lot of people. Yeah, it's nice. And actually, actors are quite good at having like a shorthand. You might not have seen them for three years, but you can just sort of slot straight back in where you left off. You know. It doesn't matter if you haven't seen each other for ages. It's like we saw each other yesterday, you know. Because you have to get to know people really quickly when you're acting. I mean, you could meet someone, in, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning and be snogging them by four. No, I mean, on screen. Any other questions? Yes. I am. This this one comes back to the live audience. Um, something like that, Paddy. If if you're playing in front of a live audience, <laughs> yeah, right. Obviously, more professional. Um, <laughs> so if you're playing something like Blackadder and you've got the live audience, presumably though. That audience is probably going to be filled mostly with fans. So does that give you more confidence, or does it, is that an extra adrenaline nerve lacking experience because you want to perform for the fans? Well, I've, I've done sitcoms where I did a thing called All at Number 20 with Maureen Lippman, and they're not fans because they, well, they might be fans of Maureen, so it was with Martin Clunes and people, but no, nobody's seen it, so they're not actually fans at that point because you haven't made it. I mean, I think what used to happen, people used to write to the BBC, go on a list, whatever they could get in to see, they'd see. So, maybe by Blackadder Goes Forth, they, they were fans. They certainly weren't at the beginning. Um, you just hope not to bore them, because even though you do have to get a move on, you're sitting in that studio for four hours if you're in the audience. I mean, even if it's something like Strictly, you can be sitting there for flipping hours. So you've got to try and keep them entertained, even if they're fans, or, you know, yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been lovely to speak to you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much.
I, I had, I, I certainly had no idea that. I, I mean, I knew Harry Potter was big. I was, a, I was a fan of the books, you know. But I don't think we really understood that this was going to be something we would literally spend the rest of our lives yeah. talking about, being involved in. You know, it was. It's hard to comprehend. I was 16. I was one of the older kids, and I think I didn't really understand that. So yeah, for the for the younger ones, it must have been quite the culture shock. It was one of those watershed things, wasn't it? Yeah. Really? Um, yeah, for sure. We, you and I actually had two links. One is that we spent uh, some of our formative years in the southern hemisphere. Yes. Yes. I was, I was born in New Zealand. Yes. And uh, I lived in Australia. Yeah. The second is. I used to be a producer at EA Games, and I was a producer on some of the early Harry Potter games. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, yes, they were great. They were fantastic. They were fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they, no, they were. They were at the time. They were uh, a lot of compromises were made. <laughs> yeah, I remember getting scanned for that. Yeah, we had we had to go and stand in a machine that was that a. What was that? It was at Leavesden Studios. We did it. Yeah. They, they was, um, we might have actually met, you know. It's I was, there, I was there for some of the scans, uh, and I was certainly there for the voice recording. Of I used to. I didn't do my voice. No, no, they didn't. No, some people did. I did. No, no. Yeah. Emma did. Um, Radcliffe and uh, Rupert. They, yeah. they did their voices. I think that was all, actually. Yeah. I don't. I don't think any of the adults did. No. no. Yeah. Yeah. No, we had a company. The company had come over. I don't know. It might may have not been. But we had a company come over from America who were doing full body scans, and yeah. that was for. Uh, they were doing them for all sorts of reasons. So I think partly for the CG potential, partly for action figure potential. Yeah. I never got any of those. No. I am in the game. I think. I think. Yeah, you're in the game. game. You are definitely in the game. It's been, it's been um, a while yeah, since yeah. I had a PlayStation One. You're very. Yeah. Um, I remember you sort of lurking in the shadows. Oh yeah, I do. I do. Lurking is what I do best. <laughs> Made a career of it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 in the search. <laughs> Number one skill, lurking. So what was it like? I mean, you say you say you didn't know what you signed up for. When when did it hit that this was massive? Um, honestly, I think. I think the reason, I think the the moment that we all certainly I did, and I think a lot of us went, oh my god, was the premiere for the first movie. Mm. Because until then we'd been stuck in this studio, leaves the studios in North London, which I'm I'm certain most of you will have been to the studio tour. Yeah, 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 of course. So that was built on the car park. We filmed in the build in the, in the actual studio. Well. In what used to be the actual studios behind that, which has now been demolished and rebuilt to look like a real film studio, it was an absolute dump when we were there. It, it, honestly, it looked like you know the warehouses in The Walking Dead, where like all the roofs are caved in and it's rusting, and that's what Leavesden Studios looked like for the 11 years that we were there. It was horrific. It would have been condemned most by most people. It was just awful. Like there was holes in the ceiling, there was buckets everywhere. Drips, asbestos, probably in every single bit of it. It's just awful. Um, well, it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. No. <laughs> um, so when we were filming, apart from going out to film at locations for certain key elements, we were pretty much locked in the studios. Like we had no real idea of what was going on in the real world of like Harry Potter gossip or anything like that. And it wasn't until that first movie came out and we 
you know, you turn up at the red carpet in Leicester Square, and there was literally 20,000 people had packed themselves into Leicester Square wow. for the premiere. Like, London was gridlock. And it was... There's nothing that can prepare you for that. Yeah. As a kid who was just, you know, doing their thing and going to high school and making a movie at the same time. And it was, it was always treated like it was fun when we were making the film. There was never any pressure. Chris Columbus, who directed those first two movies, I think one of the things that he was amazing at was treating it like fun. Yeah. There was no point at which there was any kind of... You never felt that kind of pressure of, oh my God, I've got to get it right this time. You know, it's just costing money and everything. Oh, there was never any of that. So it wasn't until we got out of those cars and there's 20,000 people just going, ah! that we were like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then you know there's like the paparazzi and the... how did you cope with that? That must have been Oh well I mean it went straight to our heads, I think. Oh, you know, we were like, oh, oh it's up your stars now, great. <laughs> Don't you know it's, I am? Very, it's a very slippery like it's a very up and down kind of world that you yeah. know you know, people recognise you obviously at premiere for your own film and then you go home and everyone's like yeah. And what? Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Sit down, eat your dinner. Finish your homework. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, the films, obviously, there's a marked change between uh, the second and the third film. Yeah. Um, was there any difference? And then, you know, you said, you said that the, the first two films were quite fun. I mean, the whole thing was fun. The, the, obviously the difference between the second film and the third film is that we changed directors yeah, Chris yeah, Columbus yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire Home Alone Bicentennial Man Happy yeah. Smiley Gooey Golden Kids films yeah and then we had Alfonso Cuaron of Little Princess and at the time Ichi Mama Tambien not gotty little kids films <laughs> <laughs> um, quite gritty um, but I think that was the right time for that change. Like those first two movies yeah. are quite sort of young and naive and innocent, and then the teenage years come in, and Alfonso brought, yeah, a sort of an edgier quality to it. Yeah. Um, but he also came in with an attitude of, no, I want you to actually work. You know, with he, whereas with Chris Columbus directing, it would be very much you would turn up in the morning, you were going to film something, you'd have learnt your lines, but in, the first thing you do in the morning would be rehearse the scene you were going to film. And then film it. Yeah. And that was it. You do it all in a day. With Alfonso, he was much more keen for us to be involved in thinking about our character development a bit more. And like, why would Percy be doing this? Why is he talking to them like that? You know, and sort of. That's famously at the time there was this whole talk about he made the three main kids write essays about their characters so they could understand their characters better. Didn't do that with. The, the lesser of us, you know, <laughs> but we did have, you know, it was it was conversations about well, what happened, how did how did you come to this scene? Yeah, you know, you don't just appear magically, for instance, in the leaky cauldron. Where have you come from? What were you doing before that? Where are you going after this scene finishes? It made you kind of think about things that are standard sort of acting normalities. You think about your character and what brings them into a situation that they are in. Um, but yeah, we haven't really done that before. So he challenged us to become sort of yeah. more mature actors. Well, P- Percy goes through quite an interesting transformation, uh, not the word. He's, as he grows up, I kind of equate it to him becoming, almost becoming extremely right wing, right? Uh, 
you kip here. I'd, I'd yeah, say you kip. I'm going sort of far right, but he's you know he's pretty pretty Brexity. Yeah, yeah, a bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always found that interesting. In, interesting as a character, um, more so now than say then. Yeah. Because you know you have this polarization even in, in, in families and you know it was a real polarization wasn't yeah. it yeah yeah it is it's um I think a lot I remember at the time a lot of people being angry say angry at me but angry at me by proxy with the character that yeah. that was only being written about at this point we haven't even got to this point in the movies yet but um obviously there's the sort of Percy and his family if you know the books certainly you'll know much better go, they go their separate ways Percy is a very focused driven individual um, who sort of equates success with doing as well as he can um, and he he puts that before everything else and that's mm-hmm. his downfall but he kind of ends up following the wrong crowd he has this belief that the people who are in charge I the ministers of magic and Dumbledore, etc. Be having been school prefect with McGonagall and Dumbledore, and then being such mostly good people, when he goes to the Ministry of Magic, he assumes that it's the, same, the same thing. Is the Minister of Magic only wants what's best? Obviously, that doesn't work out so well. And he kind of, yeah, he kind of gets sort of led down that path. But yeah. he, he's a good person underneath it all. He's well, misunderstood. Yeah, he has his redemption, doesn't he? He does have his redemption. He is, he's a misunderstood character uh, this is this, we could literally I could I could do a good 45 minute TED talk on Percy sure and how misunderstood he is that's another day yeah. <laughs> so before we open up the, the floor for, for questions I want to talk a little bit about um, one of the things we were talking about earlier is um, uh, the beauty group that you, that you run and you know, being an LGBTQIA plus um Ally and campy shows and yeah. drag and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, which that was the thing that when, when I was reading, I thought oh, it's amazing because it's you know so so close to my heart, so close to many people here. Yeah. There's so many non-binary and and, and such the get the, the gambit yeah. here, you know, trans everything here. Oh, I've got three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. Oh god. Right. So I'm gonna be quick. Tell us a little bit about. This is the scoreboard. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, I mean, I've always, I, growing up as a, as a ginger, socially awkward child who played the violin and was really into acting and musical theatre, naturally most of my role models growing up were people from the LGBTQ community. Yeah. You know, the people who ran my youth theatre were, you know, were, were gay or bi or, you know, when we're talking about the 90s and the 2000s here, so it's a time when yeah. those things weren't op- so openly spoken about but now looking back I go well of course they were um, but also having those sort of influences from family members and sort of close friends my film, my favourite films growing up were Mrs Doubtfire which let's face it it's a drag film it is. Um, uh, The Birdcage another Robin Williams another Robin Williams drag film yep uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert Another drag film. Yeah, and, then the Rocky, and then, of course, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. My favourite. Um, my absolute favourite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, that, the Rocky Horror Show got me through most of my awkward 
year eight, year nine, year ten, year eleven. But yeah. Um, but then coming to events like this over God, 23 years of doing Comic Cons now, um, and and being part of Harry Potter. Obviously, over the years, Harry Potter has always been a place that has welcomed. You know, the very idea of it is that it's a Hogwarts is a place that welcomes people who aren't don't fit into the normal Muggle world. Um, and through yeah, through 20 years of doing events, people come over to our, to, to see us at signing tables who, who come over and say, you know, Harry Potter's helped me through some really dark times of figuring out who I am and help me succeed and help me find the good and find my people as well, you know. We, so that we find this magical community, um, which has been tested, it must be said, in, in the last few Very years. Let's not go there. But yeah, that's another that's another talk. Um, but yeah, it's it, it means a lot to me that you know the the communities other than the, the normal people, you know, the sort of other the other communities yeah. find still can find I hope safety and community around Harry Potter. So I've got time for one question. Oh, there we are. Back. And if you have more questions, I am just over there and I will talk for days, by the way, so please come and see me. <laughs> Who was your favourite person to act with? Who was my favourite person to act with? Oh, oh, no. Don't ask me that. Me, obviously. <laughs> um, I, genuinely, it is very difficult to pick. Um, and we, as you well know, had just the best actors on Harry Potter. You know, literally the best actors in the world work on those films. You know, there's the, the Richard Harris, Gambon, Alan Rickman, Maggie Smith, uh, Robbie Coltrane, Kenneth Branagh, Tulis Bradley, then Elder Stone, on all of them. Um, if I have to pick one with a wand to my head, uh, Julie Walters. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, National it's Treasure. It's, yeah, National Treasure and my second mum. There you go. Yeah. And she treated us all like her family. And she, was, yeah, I haven't seen her in yachts, but um, people, we sort of, you know, when you sort of have mutual people, it's just like, oh, Julie still speaks on her. I said, my love, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, so Julie, every time. Best human being alive. Thank yeah. you so much. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I mean, um, I'll be over there. <laughs> Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Doctor. Let's talk about our favourite show, our favourite episodes that we weren't in. Oh, well, that cuts you out, Mick. He doesn't like the modern era. It was a time lash. He wasn't in. Were you in image of the phone call? Were you in image of the phone call? We're in time rush. That's a good one. Right. Favorite favorite episodes. Go. Right. I said it in two. And also, that's a good one. I do like. And all. And the fifth. I'm I'm going to go um, the invasion. Oh. Well, I like the invasion. I like the. I prefer Boy from the Deep. Really. Boy from the Deep. I'm sure from the Deep. That one. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, that one. That's a that's a that's a So what drew you to your favourite um, stories? What was it that made them interesting to you? Let's go. 
The Borad is amazing. Yeah. And his voice yeah. is incredible. It's an amazing presence and performance in the center of that particular story. And it's got H.G. Wells in. So come on, H.G. Wells in. Yeah. So that's exactly my, my point. You can pick a story that is kind of rubbish. Uh, maybe Twin Dilemma. I was going to say, oh, I was going to say Twin Dilemma. I think we're all going to come to Twin Dilemma before it's done. It's hard to think of something that's good about it. Really like it. In which the villain's plan is to spread their spread their sweggy eggs across the universe <laughs> at the equivalent of light speed sails, which means it's going to be it's going to be 20,000 years before even one reaches another solar system. And it's not an immediate urgent problem. I'll tell you why I liked it. It's because of how Colin Baker played the Doctor. I thought it was amazing. I thought... Oh. It was incredible. Oh. So I'm meeting him again next so week. I'll tell you who said that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> David said... Uh, he's my 13th favourite doctor. He'll never forgive you. Now, I love Colin Baker's work, though. I'm going to defend him. You just don't like his doctor. No, I like his doctor. Okay, you're just kidding. He really came into his own in... Oh, okay, I'll let you off. He came into his own in in, uh, in Big Finish. Yes. With Maggie Smith. Hmm. I've not listened to any of his big finishes, but I love his doctor. It's brave and anarchic. Maggie Stable. Maggie Stable, isn't it? I don't know why I said Maggie Smith. I knew it as soon as I said it was wrong. Can I throw a modern one into the mix for worst? And yet, again, there are good things to be said about some aspects of it. I completely agree with David that there's all, you can always find something. Having said that, poor bloody moon. <laughs> well, that was pretty dire, I have to say. I mean, it was just about tolerable when it was a Jack Williamson story <laughs> in 1934 when it was born with the sun and it was the planets hatching and the problem was that we discovered that the earth was going to hatch and what could we do about it right. <laughs> while we were on it. That's pretty time. No, I didn't know. Um, We've got five minutes, gentlemen. Oh, oh. Well, we're going to have a Cosplay oh, no. extravaganza. Yeah. What? We're doing the cosplay. Oh, we? Yeah. <laughs> I think we should. Yeah. Well, that show, you've got a good start. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cosplay as the writer, David J. Howe. <laughs> um, does, that, does that shirt actually come with a volume control? It, no, it comes with a health warning. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. So, Mickey. Hello. Yeah. Which was the most uncomfortable monster that you ever played? Ah, uh, Sea Devil. Only because of the heat. The heat was incredible. It was the hottest day in Cardiff. Oh, was that in the middle of the Yeah, two years ago. Yes, oh, two years ago. And did you not listen to my interview? I already asked yeah, that. Yeah, I thought you did. He was over there gabbing to Samantha. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you missed all my insults, yeah, yeah, I don't have to say this time. 41 degrees in Doncaster. It was ridiculous. What, what were you doing in Doncaster? Leave that. <laughs> it was pretty hot here too, if I remember. It was ever so hot. It. it was stupid. Yeah. And you're busy rocked up in leather and yeah, no, uh, a big sweaty helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, we, the only way we could get through that was to, well, for me, to get a monster's end yeah, and imagine right. myself on a freezing beach naked, and somehow it worked. Okay, that's a vision I think we'll we'll be. That would be terrifying, certainly. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I'm not, not suggesting you two practice this. No. 
It worked for me though. Yeah, absolutely. It's an odd sort of choice, but I'd quite like to have been Monstable the Factuous. The, the useless um, Time Lord presenter who does the commentary in Deadly Assassin. Because he's got a thankless job, he's doing public record video, who listens to him? Who takes him seriously? Nobody, but he's doing it. That's pretty much my life. <laughs> Yeah, my dear, we don't need one actor. No, who's he going to do now? I'm staying with him. I'm staying with him. Hang on, it's my week straight. It'd be quite good to be the master, wouldn't it? Oh, you've stolen mine. Sorry. You've already said that. I've already said that, yeah. Who would you be then? I want to be a Yeti. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Have you got the rules for it? I have. And I've met John Levine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to be canine. Canine? Canine? Bit of a I think I could pull it off. Oh, you mean the voice? Oh, no, 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 actually be canine. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Take it, Master. Take it, Master. There's that favourite um, quote, isn't it? They had that... Um, uh, Canine competition and um, uh, yeah, he, he lost, didn't he? John Leeson. Yeah, John Leeson. John Leeson lost a canine impression. That's fabulous. Elvis Presley allegedly came third in an Elvis lookalike. Really? Was this in his later years? Anyway, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you very much. We could talk for weeks. Yeah, we could. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bunch of middle-aged men talk thank about Dr. Ray. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank, can I, can I, thank you very much. Let's stand and walk away. Thank you. Let's get ready for a dog play. There we go. It's running now. Hello there. This is Debbie. Uh, the from the Johnny Meg Mike Johnny Meg White Doctor podcast. We tried this just now, but had it on pause. And I'm here with Aaron, and we are talking uh, about the fact that we are at FantasyCon 2023 here at Medina Theatre. And Hel how are you finding it? I'm good. Hello, fellow 20 megabyte <laughs> Doctor Who podcast <laughs> listeners. I am Aaron, indeed. I'm a totally blind person. And first thing is first is that Medina has been very, very roomy. Roomy? Yes. And yeah, I think it's actually the layout has been really concise this year. Everything's pretty much in one or the other room, yeah. and uh, everything's accessible, which is always a plus. Because we, I think last year with the stairs and everything, it yeah. got a little bit not accessible for people like no. you and me. <laughs> but it's been a very interesting year this year. Yes, definitely. But there's a lot to talk about, but also from a pop culture standpoint, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, what are you looking forward to most? So, it all started really, that it, it, it feels like my childhood's coming back. Yes. Because accessibility is a very big thing this year. Yes. Um, 
when I got back from my holiday in Lanzarote in September, um, the new Mortal Kombat video game came out, <laughs> and it had a screen reader in the game, so it would read the character move lists, the main menu, and the whole story mode was auto-described. That's always fantastic. And then, yeah, and then of course, Doctor Who is coming back in a very big way this year. Oh, yes. Russell T. Davies is once again at the helm. Murray, fantastic, yeah, Murray yeah. Gold. Murray Gold is the yeah. composer. Um, and um, the BBC have announced that on November 1st, mm-hmm. most episodes of Doctor Who classic series will be on iPlayer. I'll be watching all over again. (laughs) But here's one that's very interesting. All these new content will have audio description, sign language and BSL for the first time. So it's very exciting stuff. As um, you say, all about accessibility yeah. and uh, the fact that I can't walk very well, you can't see. No. This has been a cracking part. It really has. And it has um, it's been very linear and definitely, but I wanted to ask you. Go on. How do you feel, especially with Murray Gold coming back, uh, how do you feel the music in episodes of Doctor Who help you see what's happening? Uh, it's brilliant um, in terms of just... It's very bombastic, the Murray Gold scores. So for me, it's very exciting when that happens because they're quite catchy and memorable. Um, now, BBC Sounds has Doctor Who at 60, a musical celebration. Oh, yes. I don't know if you've listened to it yet. I have, yes. Um, <laughs> so we had a few sneak peeks. Do you mind? Can, may, I, may I say what there was? Yes, of course. Um, series. Not in the 60th, but the next series got previewed. Yes. Um, the Life of Sunday yes. was my favourite piece in that whole concert. That, is, that was um, a beautiful piece. I didn't think it smacked too strongly on other people's themes. No, well, it, it was a unique thing. The thing, the thing, <laughs> well, the thing is, it's very, it reminds me more of the works of Studio Ghibli and Joe Hisaishi. Oh. That's what it really reminded me of. So, House Moving Castle, the, the merry-go-round of life, oh, really reminded me yeah, of that. Exactly, thank you, because so, I was trying to work out what it reminded me of. Very I exciting. Ghibli, yeah. So, that really had a Ghibli feel about it. Um, and of course, um, they played a thing called Fifteen, which is, I guess, going to be Shooty Speed. Which, yeah. that was very, very great. Really reminded me of Barry Gray and Thunderbirds. So I cannot. We are in. We are in safe hands. Very, very safe hands. It's going to be Um, exciting times. So yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the toy mate, toy mate master, Neil Neil Patrick Harris. I know. I know. Doogie Howser himself. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I absolutely love him anyway. From uh, how I met your mother, Doogie Howser. It's going to be great to see him coming up against Tennant. Yeah. Because you have to have some pretty big acting chops against him and Catherine Tate. Yeah. Because that duo is someone. It's a duo that I think everyone's missed because it was pure friendship. There was never anything else. Yeah. And, And just. Just adventure. Mm. But I think as well today, I think there's been quite a few cosplayers today. Oh. Uh, we've had lots of Doctor Who. Mm. 
we've had lots. It's all right. It's just my friend, my 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 um, daughter's friend Courtney just came up just to say hello. So yeah, basically, I just wanted what to know what would you do to make this even better next time. Um, more cosplayers. Oh yeah. Um, to be honest, um, I will say I met one today. She's fine. Uh, I need to respect the rules. Um, Bayonetta, I don't know, she's a black wig and lots of stuff on her outfit. Um, it's Madame Bella cosplays. Oh, you've said yes. Now, she doesn't like touch. So for me, that was quite difficult, but understandable and I have to respect. But we found a way around it. She gave me her gun and her, because she handed off the gun to me, I could throw the fabric that way. Um, but we're very careful because obviously you don't want to um, scare her. It's quite tricky. My, my parents kind of pulled away because they got a bit worried. Oh, that's okay. But my we, daughter's the same with touch. Yeah. But it can, obviously, when touch is your talk, your yeah. language, it is very hard. But it's fine, and it's not a bad thing, and I think she should come back. Oh, definitely. Because she's got a lot. Definitely. Um, Natalie was brilliant, you know, in China, you know, Morticia oh. and Harley Quinn. Yeah. That was great. Um, very, very good. Very good get. Um, I know that was more of a cancellation, but I do think they should come back because she's she's very good at her stuff. I'm pretty sure um, we'll we've got back, some more yeah. people to meet as well. I've met the Joker Squad who know me well. They were brilliant, weren't they? But yeah, I would love even more cosplayers. And are you going to dress up next year? Um, I will for Heroes Con. Because May the Fourth is Star Wars yeah. Day. Yeah. I am going to. Uh, it's not exclusive, but um, I'm going to ask my parents to get out of my X-wing suit. Fantastic! It's got a braille helm. Yes, it's got I've a, seen you in that. Oh yeah, no, so you've seen that. So I'm going to ask. Yeah. Um, I don't know what we're going to do about Portsmouth yet, but if Fan TT Kong returns, I hope to return. Oh please! Um, yeah, you've got to come and chat to me. The one thing I'll say <laughs> is, if Phil the Fourth Day comes back and that interferes with Fan TT Kong, though, I will choose Phil the Fourth Day. Fair enough. Phil the Fourth Day is in Peterborough. It is a con designed specifically. For people with disabilities. Oh, Every wow. cosplayer is aware of touch. Every cosplayer deliberately makes their suits tactile, and every cosplayer knows what's at stake. And so, um, if it if it is the same week, I am sorry, but I am going to have to no do that because Field of Force Day has not come back for several years since the pandemic. Yes. And if that comes back, it's going to be quite the reunion. I oh, think I. I am probably. Want to be there, I am going you? to cry. Yeah, yeah. I am going to cry, oh. guaranteed, uh, because there's going to be loads of people there who I've not seen for yonks, um, and it's such a nice thing. But I do want to come back to, uh, you know, fantasy. I do. See you back, and we yeah. hope that you've had as much fun as we have this year. It's been gone like the clappers. We. I don't know if I've missed Dom the Dalek though. I don't know if he's. Oh, he was around. I think he's still parading somewhere. So, but I know that it's. Uh, the Dalek is definitely a. Because um, he's. A, so yes, I, he I would. I that that uh, that's what I would like to see before I go. I think he was around. I'm not um, sure where he is now, so I'm, we'll have a look for him. But on that note, I'm going to stop the interview okay. and we'll go looking for Daleks, shall we? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank you so much. No problem. Um.
The 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast is an APV Services production, sponsored by whoone.co.uk and lavazi.co.uk. We are proud members of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Doctor Who is a trademark of the BBC. No copyright infringement intended. The music on this podcast is covered by limited online music license from PRS for Music.